Transmission incoming, over. Copy that, transmission received. Get us going. Welcome back to Skinwalker Radio. My guest today is Norio Hayakawa. How are you today? Very good. How are you, Seth? I'm doing very well. Thank you for coming on the show. You and I have been talking on the email for a while, kicking around a few ideas. I've been following your blogs. You've been posting them on uh, sites like the Black Vault, and you do a lot of really interesting work. And you do a lot of things on a lot of different subjects, such as like UFOs and the recent drones. So how did you get into that line of work? Well, actually, this was in 1961 when I started researching and investigating the uh, UFO phenomena in general. That was 1961. I started joining organizations such as the NICAP, which is National Investigation Committee on Aerial Phenomena in the United States. Uh, but uh, I was living in Japan at that time in 1961. I was a high school student in a high school in Yokohama, Japan. But uh, I joined a group such as that, uh, which I just mentioned, NICAP and Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, uh, APRO. So uh, I was very much aware of what had been happening in the United States in the ufological scene already in 1961. So that, you know, that means that I've been involved in this uh, kind of work for uh, more than 50 years. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, I didn't really know that in Japan, there was much of a culture around investigating that phenomenon. Is it pretty large there? Well, it had been very large uh, because, uh, there are many TV stations uh, in Japan that, well, cater to the unknown, and it's it's a popular topic. So, uh, in nineteen, uh, you know, nineteen sixty-five, uh, uh, and uh, in the early nineteen seventies, there were TV programs uh, showing in prime time in Japan by many different stations, popular stations, and people used to watch programs on strange subject matters such as UFOs and, and other, you know, similar items. So I would say uh, this topic is very popular, uh, you know, especially in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. However, these days, it's really not that popular, but still, there are enthusiastic uh, fans of this kind of topic in Japan all over, even now. Uh, but uh, in 1990, I was involved in a two-hour special program that was broadcast uh, in Japan. And the Dose Underground Base uh, so that was in 1990 when most people, even in the United States, haven't heard about Area 51 or much less Dulce Base in 1990. But uh, in Japan already, in March of 1990, this uh, popular TV uh, program was broadcast a two-hour. In prime time, it was seen by millions and millions of people, and that's how Japan uh, started knowing about uh, this Area 51 in Nevada and also about this alleged underground base in Dulce, New Mexico. So I would say that from that viewpoint, Japan was already uh, ahead in the UFO information. Yeah, that's very interesting. So there is a theory, and I've talked to some other people about this too, that there are many deep underground military bases uh, all around the United States. Do you think that that's accurate? Yes, that's not only accurate, but it's common sense because uh, most uh, military facilities have uh, underground facilities. They have to for various practical reasons, uh, for example, storage uh, facilities, uh, uh, you know, some tunnels for to, to transport certain uh, uh, materials to the other portions of the bases and the 
And so uh, the underground facilities, there's nothing mysterious about it. Uh, every military base has underground uh, uh, areas, uh, but uh, we're talking about maybe three or four levels, not 20 levels like some conspiratorialists uh, uh, seem to think, but uh, yes, three or four or five underground uh, levels is no, not, not a mystery, it's, it's common sense. Even in Area 51, there are underground levels, but you know, like uh, three, four, five stories underground uh, levels. So that is uh, basically because of, uh, you know, uh, satellites and, uh, you know, uh, foreign countries, uh, you know, they always uh, spy on uh, military bases. So it's a logical step to create underground leveled uh, military facilities. Yeah, you mentioned one in particular in New Mexico. Is that in proximity to where you live now? Uh, you investigate that one uh, specifically, right? Well, uh, yes. Because I live in Rio Rancho, which is right next to Albuquerque, the largest city in the state of New Mexico. And the state of New Mexico is the fifth largest state in the entire United States. I mean, it's a humongous state, and it only has a population of two million in the entire state, just two million. And so it's a spacious uh, area, and uh, this is very convenient for the United States government to uh, create a lot of military uh, facilities. And in fact, New Mexico uh, is the leading edge technological area for uh, uh, advanced weapons, such as uh, the laser-based, uh, you know, uh, microwave, uh, you know, laser weapon systems and so on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the uh, top of the line. And then also where I live is right next to uh, Albuquerque uh, and Albuquerque has the humongous uh, Air Force Research Laboratory and the Sandia Corporations, uh, one of the largest defense contractors and they're all located inside Kirtland Air Force Base, which has a tremendous uh, history since 1947. And uh, so, uh, but uh, this particular underground facility uh, that I'm talking about is supposedly located in the small town of Dulce, New Mexico, which is part of an American Indian reservation called the Hikaria Apache Reservation. Unfortunately, there is not a single credible physical tangible evidence that there is such a physical facility near the town of Dulce, New Mexico. Yet, there are so many rumors. There are so many rumors about this facility because, uh, you know, uh, all these uh, this crazy rumors started in the 19, uh, late 1970s um, when uh, a strange phenomenon called cattle mutilation started there in northern New Mexico, around Dulce, New Mexico, in uh, the mid-1970s. But, uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the importance of the state of New Mexico is that uh, it has so many uh, significant uh, and sensitive military installations all over. You have the White Sands Missile Range, uh, you have the uh, the uh, military base over there uh, in the White Sand Missile Range. Uh, and then you have Los Alamos National Laboratories north of Albuquerque, where the latest uh, DNA and genetics uh, you know, research is located. The world's most advanced human genome and genetics program is being conducted at Los Alamos National Laboratory. Uh, you know, so uh, I tell you that that New Mexico is so important in this aspect. It's the center for most advanced military technological uh, research and test areas. 
Yeah, that's very interesting. You mentioned, you know, the cattle manipulation and that kind of stands out in my mind because I do a lot of research into Skinwalker Ranch, which you and I have kind of talked about before. Are you familiar with the, you know, kind of the legend of Skinwalker Ranch and the cattle manipulations that have gone on there? Yes, I have read uh, a lot of items concerning the Skinwalker Ranch uh, that was owned by Bob Bigelow. Uh, multi-billionaire I guess but uh, I've heard so much stories about the strange happenings that allegedly took place in that uh, ranch and probably is still going on but uh, here in New Mexico there is this uh, place called Dulce likewise there have been very many strange uh, uh, incidents of a paranormal activity, including uh, sightings of uh, even Bigfoot, uh, sightings of strange military helicopters over the area, the sightings of, uh, you know, uh, even uh, Skinwalker. Actually, the Skinwalker is, uh, is based on the many of the Native American cultural and spiritual beliefs. And so, uh, this location is three hour drive away from my house here in Rio Rancho. So once in a while I visit the town of Dulce. And uh, this year uh, there will be another conference in the town of Dulce, which is part of the Hikari Apache Reservation. And it's gonna be called the Dulce Base Conference again. Uh, and uh, I'm asked to speak over there this year again. But, uh, you know, Dulce is almost like Skinwalker Ranch because there is a mysterious ranch right in uh, uh, the north of Dulce, right next to the state line of Colorado. There's a, there's a strange ranch called the Redding Ranch. And the Redding Ranch belongs to uh, the uh, Southern Utes tribes. It doesn't belong to the Hikaria Apache tribe of Dulce, but it's located in Dulce at the borderline of the Colorado State's uh, state, you know, state Colorado line. And uh, the location is at the foothills of Mount Archuleta. And uh, the CIA uh, used to own that ranch. And uh, well, it's my understanding that there were a lot of strange experiments conducted over there. And this is the reason why Robert Bigelow, a Las Vegas, uh, you know, multimillionaire, came to Redding Ranch uh, in, back in the, uh, possibly in the 80s, to investigate the Redding Ranch of uh, this New Mexico. Um, but, uh, not much is talked about it, but uh, you know, uh, but there definitely seems to be something going over there. And uh, even though this is not a proof that there is an underground base in Dulce, uh, the Redding Ranch story has been around for many years. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, you cannot get into the ranch because it's a uh, uh, it's the Southern Utes uh, jurisdiction. And uh, if you go inside the ranch, I'm sure you get into trouble because, you know, you're treading into uh, the uh, Native Amer American land owned by uh, Southern Utes. And this land is not owned by the Hikari Apache people who are in Dulce. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. It sounds very similar to Skinwalker Ranch. And it's, it's really telling that the government is interested in both of those places because at Skinwalker Ranch, we have uh, you know, the Defense Intelligence Agency and then uh, working through a proxy of Bob Bigelow. Um, it's interesting to hear that there's a similar narrative around Redding Ranch where Bob Bigelow, once again, is, is in the mix. And then uh, the government, you know, with the CIA formerly owning the ranch, 
you can't help but just kind of connect the dots. And then and that just raises so many more questions as far as uh, why is the government involved and interested at all with these types of places? Exactly. And this is the big question. And uh, I've investigated the Dulce region for many years. In fact, since 1990. In fact, uh, 1990 was the first time I visited Dulce when I took along a Japanese TV crew that came from Japan to, uh, you know, film the happenings at Dulce and also Area 51 in Nevada. See, so uh, we went to Area 51 in Nevada to uh, do this, uh, you know, to uh, do the investigations. And then uh, on the way back, we uh, stopped by New Mexico to Dulce. That was in 1990 and, uh, you know, Ever since that time, I uh, became more and more familiar with Dulce. Uh, I have come to know uh, uh, many, many folks in Dulce. And so uh, to me, Dulce is a very special location. And because of the deep-rooted cultural and spiritual beliefs of the Native American people there, the Hikari Apache people, uh, there is a lot of beliefs among the local people there who really believe in the paranormal or paraphysical uh, phenomenon because that seems to be part of the culture and for this reason the united states government uh conveniently lo uh, chose that location to do a lot of psychological uh, warfare experiments and that's my conclusion because uh, you know there has been uh, stories of how the United States government uh, came to the Dulce area uh, you know uh, from the late uh, 1970s and may have started experimenting on uh, psyops uh, techniques uh, using uh, remotely controlled aerial platforms such as the, uh, at that time they didn't use the word drones, but uh, you know, they just used the word unmanned aerial vehicles or aerial platform remotely controlled. And they may have uh, done experiment even trying to stage what appeared to their local people as a uh, out of space, uh, you know, alien type of uh, you know appearances but uh, it's there's a great possibility that the, it may have been uh, uh, the, the government's uh, testing of uh, psychological warfare and psychological operations and staging some kind of a fake event that convinced the local people that they were seeing uh, some kind of extraterrestrial event there but uh, you know uh, whether or not this is true. The fact is that there seems to be some kind of a strange phenomenon even today uh, that uh, people report over there. Uh, they had seen, um, you know, entities like Bigfoot on the Navajo River in Dulce area, right next to the mountain, and uh, the, the sightings of uh, skinwalkers and the sightings of, uh, you know, uh, strange personalities, as well as the sightings of a strange uh, triangular black uh, humongous craft. Uh, people have seen those, which to me is very, very strange because uh, as far as I'm concerned, the United States does not possess any humongous triangular aircraft that is three or four or five times the size of a football field that can hover absolutely silently or just fly as slow as five to ten miles an hour you know uh, we don't have that technology uh, we have uh, technology uh, such as the uh, uh, you know uh, b21 right now which is a triangular type of uh, a craft that uh, they're working on, but uh, you know we have uh, other triangular crafts uh, that, but not 
three or four times the size of football field and, you know, uh, not uh, having any kind of absolute silent technology. That's not ours. So uh, what they have been seeing is not ours. So, you know, my conclusion is that Gold City, Mexico is a fascinating location. It's a mix of everything. And uh, there seem to be some kind of activities. Uh, you know, in the 1970s, there were many cattle mutilations that took place over there. Uh, I know a rancher that has uh, lost uh, more than 17 cows to uh, the strange uh, cattle mutilations uh, in the Dulce area, which started in 1975, which is 10 years after the government exploded a nuclear device right next to Dulce and the Hikari Apache Reservation. Uh, that was in 1967. The Atomic Energy Commission uh, did an experiment called the Project Gas Buggy and uh, it was an experiment in which the government uh, thought that by exploding this atomic uh, device a mile underground in this uh, forest, they would ease the flow of natural gas in that location to help the people over there. So, you know, uh, superficially that was uh, a very interesting, but uh, you know, uh, it was understandable how the United States government started this program to to uh, use the atomic energy for peaceful purposes after World War II. So it was called the Project Plowshare or Atom for Peace program, and uh, it it happened in 1967. Uh, it was called Project Gas Buggy, and you know, that took place on December the 10th of 1967, a mile and a half underground, uh, the, right next to the uh, Hikari Apache Reservation. And, uh, you know, it was amazing experiment. And, you know, but what happened was the government realized that there was a bad effect that was caused by that experiment. And that effect was 10 years after the explosion, uh, radiation started leaking out from that area and have, had affected uh, local animals over there as well as people. So even to this date, there are lots of people in the town of Dulce who has cancer, uh, mainly due to the fact that they were affected by this radiation that started leaking in a nearby area such as Dulce, uh, you know, around 10 years after the experiment. The experiment took place in 1967, but it took about 10 years for the radiation to slowly leak out into the surrounding area and it has affected uh, cows in that area, uh, dogs, uh, you name it. And uh, I think this was the beginning, coincidentally or not, I'm not sure, but this is the beginning of the uh, cattle mutilation cases. And uh, some people say, and especially I know uh, I used to know the uh, New Mexico State Patrol officer, Gabe Valdez, who was in charge of the Dulce area in the 1970s because uh, uh, the state of New Mexico got worried in 1979 because many ranchers living in Dulce area reported cattle mutilations in their ranches. And, uh, you know, so there was a big meeting that was held in 1979 in the city of Albuquerque, New Mexico, where more than 150 people came to that meeting. And this meeting was convened by a state uh, congressman uh, of New Mexico, 
because they got worried what's going on in northern New Mexico with the, all these cattle, uh, you know, getting affected by strange mutilation cases. And so that was the beginning of cattle mutilation story uh, in New Mexico. And uh, <clears throat> there's no doubt that it has some kind of relationship with the leakage of radiation uh, resulting from the 1967 explosion of nuclear device right next to Dulce, about 22 miles southwest of Dulce. And, uh, you know, the, the big mystery was, uh, and it is still, it's not solved yet. Uh, but uh, I know several ranchers in that area, especially the Gomez family, who believe that it was the government and not the flying saucers or not the aliens that were causing the cattle mutilation because uh, they were trying to test the radiation effects on certain tissues and organs of particular cows in that location because they wanted to test how the uh, this radiation, radiation affected. So strangely or not, at that time, stories began, uh, you know, linking the cow cattle mutilations with the alien uh, stories in the Dulce area. Uh, but in reality, both the New Mexico State Patrol officer in charge of that area and Mr. Edmund Gomez, who was part of the uh, Gomez Ranch, they started uh, claiming that it was not the aliens that were causing the cattle mutilations, but the U.S. government, who secretly tried to snatch uh, certain cows in that location to test the whether they were affected, you know, how they were affected by this radiation. And so, uh, it's a good uh, deduction of that. Uh, a mystery, but unfortunately, there's not a single photo or video footage of any military helicopter carrying the abducted cow in the sky with a helicopter. Nobody has actually seen, witnessed any black military helicopter uh, picking up the cow in midair and putting into the helicopter or going some to another location. Not a single photo has uh, surfaced. So there lies a mystery still. So, you know, it could be uh, two things involved. One thing is that, yes, the government may have been involved, but also I think there's a great possibility that all this, these phenomena had been caused by unseen uh, forces, which I call maybe even demonic or, uh, uh, you know, weird paraphysical intrusion into our physical dimension by unknown sentient uh, paraphysical entities that were trying to uh, deceive the observers as if they were watching uh, an alien invasion of something. Yeah, that's very interesting. And that you and I have kind of discussed that on the phone beforehand. And I want to get into that because I think that correlates perfectly with some of the other conversations I've had, both on and off record uh, with people at Skinwalker Ranch. And an official statement released by Bigelow Aerospace uh, in their uh, subsidy bass specifically that was responsible for Skinwalker Ranch, they released a press statement that said that they were investigating paranormal activity and inside paranormal activity, they lumped in things like orbs and UFOs too. And I thought that was really interesting. And normally people break those out into two different categories. You have uh, paranormal things and then you have UFO things. And most of the time, for most people, those are not the same thing. So I thought it was really telling that when they released that, they made note of them investigating both of those simultaneously as if that they were the same phenomenon. And then they go on to mention that uh, 
they were using human bodies as a readout system with which to test the presence of paranormal activity, with which then again, UFOs were part of that, according to this statement. So my question, I guess, is what is the nature of all of that then? You know, if, uh, if the idea of the paranormal and UFO is being linked together, to what end and purpose? You know, because the deception thing seems to be very prevalent. Um, so much so that even Bass has mentioned that two people can see the same event, but be seeing different events at the same time. And that's why they needed to do medical tests to uh, get a clue, right? So if it left a traceable biological marker on a human body, well, then you could test for that. And that would be an objective source of truth because it almost appears that a single object can appear to two different people as a different object at the same time, even though they're looking at the same point in space and time. So yeah, the deception thing is, uh, has really got me intrigued. Exactly. You said it very well, because that's what seems to be happening. And, uh, you know, this is the reason why I personally do not believe that the government has been intentionally covering up anything. It's just that the government is just as much perplexed by this UFO phenomenon, as well as the paraphysical activities. And that, uh, you know, it's just that the government is just as much confused about this whole thing. And there's a wide division among the elitists of the United States government. There's no doubt in my mind that uh, one of the reasons why the government cannot disclose the true nature of the UFO phenomenon is because there's a dissension among the elitists inside the government and the military. There are lots of, you know, elitists in the government and the military uh, who espouse the belief that uh, the UFO phenomenon appears to be some kind of paraphysical intrusion into our physical dimension by an unknown intelligence or unknown sentient extra dimensional entities paraphysically materializing themselves and presenting to the observers as a physical extraterrestrial phenomenon and uh, a visitation. And so, uh, honestly, there are military people in the government, in the military, uh, U.S. Navy, uh, Air Force, you know, the U.S. Army, in the military, there are people who espouse this belief and they are convinced that uh, these entities with their craft seem to be able to temporarily affect our physical parameters such as their ability to appear on our radar systems. And uh, you know, these officials also seem to be convinced that the phenomenon is able to materialize and dematerialize at will and is even capable of transmogrifying itself into any shape or form. And the word I used was transmogrify. And this was a word that was coined by a famous researcher, John A. Keel, in the late 1960s. And uh, transmogrification means uh, changing the substance of something into uh, another shape or form, uh, you know, and uh, it's a fascinating topic. And there's no doubt in my mind that there are scientists inside our government who are convinced that this phenomenon, however, you know, cannot last for too long in our physical environment, except for a few seconds or a few minutes. Uh, at a time. And, you know, so this is the reason why uh, the government is so perplexed and confused and, you know, but at the same time, there are government officials and militaries who take the other view that what 
people are seeing are really extraterrestrial, nuts and bolts, extraterrestrial phenomenon. And so again, there is a uh, dissension and uh, you know disunity among the government elitists, and this is the reason why they do not like to disclose this kind of a nature of this phenomenon to the public because the government is not supposed to be involved in uh, uh, this kind of uh, a topic uh, because the government can only explain things in nuts and bolts physical uh, reality. And uh, by explaining and bringing up, up the topic of paraphysical or the paranormal, uh, the government cannot do that because it's not in the business uh, of uh, investigating uh, that kind of stuff, uh, unless it's just a pure physical phenomenon, then they can make some statements. But, you know, this whole phenomena uh, is not really nuts and bolts physical phenomena, but it can appear to be so. But, uh, you know, the true nature is still unknown. And uh, the biggest problem is that uh, this phenomenon, including the UFO phenomenon and the other related phenomena is all part of what I call a paraphysical phenomenon. And I don't like to use the word paranormal, but I'd rather use the word paraphysical because it seems to be a temporary uh, intrusion into our dimension of, uh, you know, extra dimensional entities uh, uh, posing themselves as a physical extraterrestrial visitors and uh, you know that's my uh, uh, take on this whole thing and you know I wrote uh, uh, quite a number of articles recently about this but uh, you know uh, one of my uh, uh, articles was just recently featured in an Australian magazine called the new dawn uh, there was a excellent Australian uh, magazine, a UFO magazine's magazine called New Dawn, and uh, they featured this uh, story uh, in the latest uh, magazine. But uh, you know, this UFO phenomenon and this related uh, phenomenon is becoming very, very popular in the mainstream. And there's a good news about this whole thing because uh, this coming September of this year a uh, very highly acclaimed uh, filmmaker, James Fox, is releasing a two-hour movie. It's an unprecedented movie, unprecedented movie, in that it's made professionally, uh, and it's made for the theater. And this movie is called The Phenomenon. And he, uh, uh, you know, talks about uh, this whole phenomenon, and uh, in this two-hour documentary film, which will be released in all the theaters nationwide, it's a theat made for the movie, uh, you know, made for the theater movie. Uh, the phenomenon will be released in September of this year. And, uh, uh, you know, people like uh, Senator Harry Reid uh, will appear uh, in that program. And uh, there's a section uh that devotes itself to the uh david Frabor, who was a pilot of a u.s uh, navy pilot who was involved in the 2004 uss nimitz uh ufo uh incident and uh you know this uh, james fox movie will uh cover all these and it will also cover uh, the strange case of the uh, uh, school children in Africa, in Zimbabwe, that took place in 1994, uh, the so-called aerial school incident. Uh, and so uh, James Fox will include all of this into this uh, fascinating movie, The Phenomenon. And I'm so glad that uh, Dr. Jacques Vallée is will be in there also and you know um it's not it's it's a no-nonsense movie and and uh, i'm looking forward to this movie because i think this movie can uh, impress 
the public in, at large the reality that this phenomenon exists. And uh, so it's very important uh, as far as I'm concerned. It's very important. So in this regards, I think uh, I'm so glad that, you know, persons like you, Seth, are also playing a role by uh, disseminating the information that we're talking about a real phenomenon. Uh, it's very, 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 very difficult to get into the true nature of this phenomenon, but the fact is nevertheless that this is a real phenomenon. We don't know the real answer, and I still don't know the real answer to this phenomenon, except to say that this is a real phenomenon. And, uh, you know, so I'm glad that the filmmakers such as James Fox is uh, really uh, going to push this, uh, uh, you know, phenomenon's reality into general public. No, I agree. That movie looks really cool. I've seen a couple previews being advertised, but I need to sit down and, and really watch the trailers. Uh, you mentioned somebody who really piqued my interest. You mentioned uh, Jack Vallée. And I recently got done listening to a book called American Cosmic which really had me thinking about a lot of things. And you and I kind of touched on this briefly, but uh, Jack Vallée has done some really groundbreaking work into the phenomenon and into the whole entire culture that uh, surrounds UFO and paranormal stuff in general. And his key takeaway was that it's all religious. And I thought that that was really telling. And, uh, you know, we've talked about this in previous episodes before, and I don't want to beat a dead horse or prophetize anybody or anything like that. But if you think about what makes a religion, so something interesting happens, and then that site becomes uh, more or less a place of interest, like Roswell. And then people gather there routinely to discuss what happened, um, shops pop up, merchants start selling things, uh, people go there annually uh, on anniversary dates and things like that. They get together, they form groups, they form clubs, they form Facebook groups, and then they try to dis you know, discern what is happening with the event and what has happened since then. They look forward to future events. And then uh, officially, you kind of get the, the unofficial doctrine of uh, the UFO, and then anybody who doesn't really hold to that is more or less excommunicated from the groups. And what we're seeing is the emergence of a young religion. And if you look at the fundamental mechanics of how religions work and how they form, it's interesting because it's happening right in front of our eyes with the UFO culture. So the Roswell 1947 crash happens, and Roswell, New Mexico basically becomes holy ground uh, in a way. Right, and people go there routinely, and that's more or less equivalent to a pilgrimage, uh, in you know many religions. So you have a bunch of groups like uh, maybe like Mufon or some of the ones you've mentioned earlier, right? Who get together and they uh, discuss what it means, right? What does it mean? What happened? What does this mean to us? What do we make of this? Those basically become uh, your churches, you know, your denominations within a church. And you hold your official view, and they might hold their official view. But what that is, is just denominations within a religion fighting with each other. And that ha needs to happen. So you have conferences, right? So you might have a conference, and you'll go, you know, put forth an idea. And someone else puts forth a counter idea, not just completely discrediting it. But they also believe, but they just believe different things about the same event, perhaps, right? Well, that's no different than a than an ecumenical council that happened seven times within Christianity over the last two thousand years. Uh, you know what we're seeing? It's a it's the same thing. It's the development of a religion. Yes, you said it so right. Uh, beliefs in UFOs as extraterrestrial visitors. This belief is rapidly becoming a religion, as you stated. Uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a rapidly becoming religion of, of sort, because you can tell but by what happened uh, last year with this uh, Storm Area 51 event that <laughs> attracted, uh, you know, in the end it attracted only about 2,000 people, but over a million people heard 
about it and uh, they were uh, you know uh, they were so excited and you know uh, it's like a, area 51 has become a like a location pilgrimage among uh, ufo believers just like roswell new mexico and uh, you know uh, so uh, ufos the ufo phenomenon has played a, a major role in uh, elevating uh, the UFO beliefs into uh, America's latest growing religion. There's no question about it. It's a cult. So the cult of the alien, the cult of the uh, uh, extraterrestrial UFOs is, uh, is definitely significant. And, you know, we're just talking about the public's concept of UFOs. The public's concept of UFOs is unfortunately based on uh, no evidence. There's not a single evidence, uh, even though I've studied this whole UFO phenomenon since 1961, I still haven't come upon any kind of a credible, physical, tangible, uh, solid evidence that we have ever been visited by physical extraterrestrial entities in physical extraterrestrial spacecraft of any kind. Not a single artifact uh, has, has come up, yet the UFO phenomenon seems to be real, as Dr. Jack Willey stated many, many times, and he still states that this is a real phenomenon uh, that needs to be investigated, but it's very difficult to get into the bottom of this phenomenon because it's something that is uh, it's unfathomable by contemporary uh, you know, uh, scientific methodology. Uh, so, but yet the public uh, only takes the lopsided view that UFOs and aliens are actual physical uh, phenomena. And uh, as I said, unfortunately, there's no proof for this. Uh, the vast majority of the world's uh, scientists and uh, rep reputable scientists and astronomers, uh, they definitely embrace the possibility that there are actually intelligent uh, civilization elsewhere in the universe. It's, uh, you know, they, they uh, agree that it's likely, but when it comes to UFOs, most of these scientists and engineers and astronomers are very skeptical that UFOs represent the uh, such evidence. Uh, and so this is something that has to be clearly uh, demarked separately between reality and ma in, in imagination. And uh, so this is where I stand uh, right now. While believing that the UFO phenomenon, and that includes the paranormal phenomenon or paraphysical phenomenon such as, uh, you know, that you mentioned the Skinwalker Ranch phenomenon and the Dulce area phenomenon, uh, they exist, but there's no tangible physical evidence that says that uh, this is a real touchable nuts and bolts uh, item or artifact involving extraterrestrial visitation. But, uh, you know, uh, to me, the the phrase, we are not alone, can mean different things to different people. And this movie that's coming up in September, this two-hour movie, The Phenomenon by James Fox, uh, the conclusion of that film is that we are not alone. And I agree that we are not alone, but we are not alone can mean different things to different people. And uh, that's my point. And <laughs> are we talking about uh, 
actual physical extraterrestrial visitation or as we are we talking about uh you know some kind of unknown intelligence creeping into our dimension and materializing themselves as uh physical visitors extraterrestrial visitors or not that's the big question and so you know this study goes on and on and the government will never never disclose the true nature of this phenomenon because it will involve beliefs of people that differ and so this is the, the point where the united states government will never disclose uh, uh, the UFO phenomenon, unless these entities in some future, in some point in time in the future, actually reveal themselves physically, then it will be a different story. But at this point in time, they haven't. So there will not be any disclosure by the government, but in the future, if these entities exist, then they will disclose themselves, you know? No, I agree. I agree with you 100%. Uh, that's kind of been my theory that I've been developing and to talk to you and kind of get that out in the open and bounce those ideas around just kind of solidifies it even more for me. You know, the paranormal stuff is, is not real in the physical sense, right? You're not going to catch a ghost. You're not going to catch a skinwalker in a trap and then dissect it. It doesn't work like that. It's real in the paraphysical sense, as you put it, which I, I really love that term, by the way, and I'm going to start using that. So thank you for that. Uh, it's paraphysical. It's not physical. It's, uh, it's real, but it's not physical. And it, just because it's not physical does not mean it's not real, right? Because it's, it's very much real. It's just not physical. And I think the same is with UFOs. I think that's why we haven't caught one. I think that's why we haven't shot one down. I think that's why we don't have little green men stored in a jars full of preserving liquid somewhere. I just, I don't think it exists. I could be wrong, obviously, you know, I mean, you never know, but I, uh, I do think that they are real, but yeah, like you mentioned, they're not physical. Yes. The main reason for this is that, uh, you know, yeah, sure. Uh, they can affect our physical parameters, such as I mentioned before, the ability to appear on radar uh, and the ability to emit some kind of a sound or uh, a smell or uh, cause a physical, uh, uh, you know, uh, disturbances such as uh, burning the bushes in the, in the desert or something of these uh, crafts. But, uh, you know, uh, the basic fact is that this phenomenon does not seem to be able to coexist uh, with our physical dimension. This is the reason why you don't see any cases of UFOs staying there for three or four days or any alien entities staying for <laughs> a day or two, you know, uh, you know, because they are not, uh, they cannot cope with our physical dimension. Uh, apparitions do not last forever. Uh, they, they could last for a few seconds or the most a few minutes. But, uh, you know, it's like uh, this whole physical phenomenon is something that has to disappear. And, uh, you know, many of the UFO cases, People see UFOs, but, uh, you know, they seem to hover and then immediately they seem to fly away at an incredible speed. Like uh, this, there was this case in New Mexico where I now live, uh, you know, in 1964, a patrol officer, Lonnie Zamora, witnessed an egg-shaped object with tripod, you know, sitting on a tripod, you know, 300 feet away from him. And uh, he uh, encountered, uh, he saw from a distance, 300 feet, uh, two small entities in some kind of a coverall touching the uh, surface of this egg-shaped object. And uh, they, when they realized that the officer was watching them, they went inside and this object took off at an unbelievable speed. And to me, this was a show. Uh, the show 
uh, in the sense that they wanted to make the observers think that they were using some kind of a propulsion system to speed away into uh, other part portion of the sky. And, you know, this happens a lot of UFO cases where the UFOs suddenly just uh, take off with an unimaginable speed, uh, which I think to me is not reality. It's uh, more of a dematerialization rather than taking off using some kind of a propulsion system. I think it's a case of the uh, power to dematerialize themselves. Yep, I think you're right. And I could go down the rabbit hole as to why, like psychologically speaking, that would be a very good thing to do to humans. Um, but I think that would probably eat up a, you know, another three hour time block. So I'm going to make a note of that to talk about that next time when we kind of do a, a debrief. But, you know, we're coming up here on probably a full hour, but I want to thank you so much for, for coming on and, and sharing some of your ideas. And I really look forward to reading more of your articles. Is there a way that people can get a hold of your articles directly so they're not missing sure. any? All, all they have to do is do a Google search and type up my name, Norio Hayakawa, and do a Google search. And there will be many articles that I've written or many things that I've done. And then also people can just uh, email me as well, noriohayakawa at gmail.com, and I'll answer any questions. Or just go to my blog site, uh, which is noriohayakawa.wordpress.com, and I have lots of articles, many of which I wrote myself, but then I also uh, pick up uh, important articles written by other people and news items. So I try to keep up with the latest. And, uh, you know, for example, uh, I wrote, uh, well, an item, actually, I posted an item regarding the strange appearances of uh, drones in Colorado and Nebraska in December. And uh, I discussed this, but, uh, you know, it's a very interesting thing uh, that it, to me, the appearance of drones seem to coincide with the recent uh, United States Navy's experiment in a swarm of drones technology. And, uh, you know, it's not only the United States Navy that is experimenting with uh, the swarm of drones technology, but the Air Force and uh, perhaps the Army, they are all into drones now, uh, no question about it. But uh, the strange thing is that there is no doubt that a lot of people in Colorado and Nebraska and Kansas in December uh, last month did actually see some strange drones, uh, but uh, the, 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 the uh, state of Colorado refused, refused uh, even today, refuses to explain things because I believe that uh, the government themselves uh, could be doing it. So, uh, you know, experimenting on the use of drones, uh, there could be many different purposes for that, but uh, they may not be anything mysterious, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that the military has been doing these days that can uh, uh, confuse people uh, because of the rapid development of uh, technologies. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, amazing how the government has been developing, the military uh, has been developing some technologies that are absolutely out of this world, uh, you know, literally. So recently, the United Navy, United States Navy, also uh, got a hold of a, a patent uh, developed by a scientist, uh, I think in Los Alamos or somewhere. But uh, this patent involves uh, the patent for the uh, electromagnetic uh, propulsion system, the electrogravitic propulsion system. So whether this is absolutely 100% true, or this is something that the military wants 
people or other nations to believe that the United States have this technology, uh, that's a big question, you know, because sometimes this could all be part of a psychological operations program by the military. So anyway, uh, that's just an example of some of the items that I'm interested in uh, besides the UFOs. And, but, uh, you know, the UFO phenomenon uh, to me is very important because if you understand and if you, and, you know, come to the conclusion of the UFO phenomenon, that will explain a lot of things in this mysterious universe and world we're living in. But anyway, Seth, I certainly appreciate you having me on your program and uh, I appreciate your interest in realistic nature and the realistic approach to this uh, phenomenon that is still hard to get to the real uh, nature of this, you know. So I sure appreciate it. No, I appreciate you coming on. I had an awesome conversation and uh, we'll definitely link up another time and uh, have another discussion in the future. I think there's still a lot more we need to discuss. But I think uh, it gives us some time to kind of take a break, uh, wrap our heads around some of the things we talked about today, and then uh, reconvene at a later time. Thank you so much, Seth. All right. You take care. Thanks for listening to the Patriot Media Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends, and consider being a donor. If you donate to the show, it helps me grow the podcast to reach more people just like you. And also, I will give 10% of each donation back to homeless veterans. Thanks for listening.